Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Talk on Tech. I am Patrick Smith and this week we have another one of our interview only episodes. So today I'm sitting here with Associate Professor Elliot Parker. Hello Elliot. Hello Patrick. And we're going to talk today about um, some of the classes that Elliot teaches and how they can be so beneficial for you uh, in your IT career or in many other uh, sectors of the job market. So tell us a little bit about, about you, Elliot, about how you got here and uh, um, and your past, I guess. Okay, I'd, I'd be happy to. First of all, thanks for having me on the program. I oh, really you're welcome. appreciate it very much. Um, I started out working in radio. I worked for a uh, company in Charleston called Bristol Broadcasting. Uh-huh. Uh, they have company. They actually they're actually headquartered out of Bristol, Virginia, but they have offices and com- stations and companies all over the, the West Virginia, Ohio, Virginia area, Tennessee also as well. And uh, part of my responsibilities there was to do some on-air work, but I mostly wrote. Uh, sales proposals for the sales staff. I wrote contracts when we would negotiate with um, a program to syndicate their coverage, for example, like the Rush Limbaugh show or Sean Hannity or whatever national syndicated show we had okay. uh, on at the time. I was responsible for writing those. And I was also responsible for writing you know, quarterly and, and you know, yearly sales reports for the company to show how much revenue we had brought in, where that revenue had been spent, uh, what areas we needed more revenue for to produce programming and to hire staff and those kinds of things. Okay. So I did that for about four years. Um, I suffered through two buyouts and sales of the company during that time. Right. Uh, Our original owner uh, passed away. His daughter took over the company. She sold the company. Uh, Then we were bought again uh, by Bristol Broadcasting, which is who I finished up with there. Uh, So I spent four years there and... um, I also uh, spent two years at Marshall University. I taught uh, English at Marshall right. uh, after getting my master's degree for two years. And then I transitioned over and started working for Mount West Community and Technical College, which was then Marshall Community and Technical College at the mm-hmm. time. And I've been there and or been here since 2006. Okay. So I've uh, been, been working in, in private sector, but have spent the last 10 years or so uh, teaching and working with students. So it's... Um your comfort level behind the mic isn't isn't brand new to you. I, I didn't realize that you uh, that you had the broadcast background. Oh yes, I, yeah. I have spent a lot of time uh, behind these microphones, and um, it, it, it was a, it was a great experience um, because it taught me a lot, not just about speaking and about having the confidence to articulate yourself well orally, but also it gave me a lot of confidence and experience with the kinds of of writing and the kinds of written documents that business and industry are looking for and the Mm -hmm. kind of writing skills and the kind of competencies they expect you to have uh, when you go to work. And, you know, when I worked at Bristol, Patrick, nobody told me, you know, this is how you need to write that sales report or this is how the contract needs to be. I mean, I was told there had to be certain things in those documents, Mm -hmm. but no one said, here's a template. No one said, here's an outline to follow. It was expected of me to know how to do that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think one of the reasons I was able to survive the, those two buys and sells of the company uh, when a lot of my colleagues were, were let go and were moved away is because I had a set of skills that made me invaluable to the company. And as they changed ownership and leadership twice, you know, I was someone that they needed because I could do certain things that maybe other people in the building couldn't. And and I don't mean to sound, you know, sort of thumbs in my lapel arrogant about that, but right. but it's not something I looked at and thought about at the time. But looking back on it, since I've been away from that now for about ten years, I think that was one of the reasons that I got to stay was because I had a, a skill set and I had a, a a writing ability that was needed at the company at the time. Well, and and I also think we're gonna 
hear very shortly about how um, that experience leverages way in, into the classes you teach. But also, you, you mentioned writing there. I, I don't think up top that you mentioned that uh, you are an author of three books. Yes, yes, I am, and uh, I, I'm the so, author. So of, feel free to make sure you let everyone know about those. Th- th- thank you very much, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to plug those books yeah. as well. Uh, yes, I'm the author of uh, three novels, uh, The Prospect, uh, which is a, a baseball mystery story set in West Virginia. I'm also the author of Breakdown at Clear River, which is a murder mystery uh, set on a fictional college campus in West Virginia, and I was pleased to uh, have that book be a finalist for the Weatherford Award uh, for Outstanding Fiction in 2012, so that was a a great honor. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And my uh, my latest book just came out April 1st. It's Making Arrangements, Mm -hmm. and it's about a young man named Colin Madsen whose father dies and leaves his son a funeral home that he has to do something with, and so... Uh, the issue for Colin is, does he keep it? Does he sell it? And as he goes throughout the story, he meets a lot of people who all have their own ideas and are pushing their own agendas uh, with regards to that funeral home. So it, it's a good family drama story about, um, you know, what do you do when you're put in that situation, when you're thrust into that situation? So, you know, I, I've really been writing in one way, shape, or form uh, ever since I was in college and undergrad. I started writing fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a journalism major uh, as an undergrad, and so I was writing a lot of, you know, sales proposals and newspaper stories and radio copy and things like that, but I always like longer, more, more, more fluid, more detailed pieces. And so mm-hmm. I started writing fiction uh, in college just as a hobby. And okay. I, I never imagined that anybody would ever want to read or publish anything that I had ever written. I never set out to accomplish that goal, right? Um, but it, it's been a great, great experience and a lot of fun. So, as a as kind of a follow up question, but more of a techie question, um, as being an author, do do you have your books say like on the Kindle, or have you gone that avenue yet? Yes, I do. I um, have all three of. Well, I should say the Prospect and Breakdown at Clear River uh, mm-hmm. is on the Kindle. Okay. Uh, and I believe Breakdown at Clear River is also on the Nook for Barnes and Noble. Oh, okay. Uh, when the Prospect was put on uh, the Kindle, the Nook wasn't around, so I see. it never made the transition. And making arrangements will be put on uh, the Kindle and the Nook by mid June or something like that. Okay. Well, uh, around that time, uh, one thing I've learned about publishing and about publishers is is they typically like to release the, the paperback or the hardback version of the book first right. and then come back with the Kindle version or the Nook version or the tablet version, e-reader version, mm-hmm. um, mainly because they want enough interest to, to build up around the hardback and the paperback book. But right. more importantly, they make more money on That's the true. sales of the hardback books than they do the Kindle books because or the e-reader books because mm-hmm. they have to share a bigger percentage of that with Barnes & Noble or Amazon or whoever's yeah. providing that service. So, Well, I mean, I guess that's like any of the... Um any of the, the the media streams out there, even movies, you know, like they're going to have the big giant opening weekend, and then they try to get the money they can there, and then they'll go ahead and recoup that as well on VOD or on DVD, that type of thing. So it makes sense. I was just curious because yeah. I, I never, I wouldn't even know where to begin to make sure a book <laughs> could, could be on the Kindle, that type of thing. So well, well, you know, it's interesting too, Patrick, about that. Just just as a side note, I mm-hmm. found that a lot of people who, you know, just from personal experience, have read my books through an e-format through the mm-hmm. Nook or through Kindle or through whatever device they've used, will then go back and buy the written copy or the paperback copy. Sometimes they want that signed you know, by me or by the author, but oftentimes it's because if they enjoyed that book, uh, they want to see that book on their bookshelf or in their collection. That's true. And there was a story that the Washington Post did about six months ago, and I should, probably should have brought it with me, 
they did a, a study of you know e-readers versus and e-reading versus hardback and paperback reading. Mm-hmm. And they did this. They started the study back in I believe it was 2005 up till now, so nine years worth of, of research. And what's happened is where the e-reading has really took off, or really took off at that time when it first gained popularity, and everybody was buying Kindles and Nooks and tablets and this and that, and and you saw that rising and the the trend line going down for paperback books. It's leveled off now. Nine years later, you know the the the, the amount of readers and the number of readers that are reading uh, paperback books is almost even with e-reading today. So, oh, okay. So it's really interesting. You know, uh, there was the doom and gloom prediction that once these e-readers came out and Nooks and Kindles and e-texts came out, that people were going to stop buying and reading printed books. But right. Uh, that was a trend for a while, but I, I, maybe it's because, like you were saying with the movies, the novelty of it's worn off a bit. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of it is that if people find a good book on the Kindle or find a good book on the Nook, then then they want that copy. They want that copy that they can keep and, and put on their shelf and have a physical copy for, for years to come. So interesting to see. And, and we'll see if that's cyclical. That may go back the other way. It may Five right. years from now, the e-reading line may trend up and the printed reading line may trend down. But well, it's interesting I, to see that study. I would definitely think um, for you as a as a local author, there's probably going to be a higher ratio of the printed books because when you do these book signings, I mean, you could sign someone's Kindle, but <laughs> it would be rather unusual. Um, they're going to want to have a printed copy signed, so uh, that makes sense. I hadn't thought about uh, getting your getting your copy signed or personalized, so that's true. So. Uh, we've definitely established that you've got a lot of um, <clears throat> experience in, in the writing field, uh, both of, of your own books and also for, for works for clients. So here at Mount West, it should come as no surprise that uh, that you teach a lot of uh, writing classes. So talk a little bit about those for us. I'd be happy to. I, I teach primarily... Uh well, really, four levels of English, and and we can talk about writing modes too in a second if you'd like. But, sure. Um, I teach the English 111, which is mm-hmm. our uh, written communications one course, which is the equivalent to a lot of schools English 101. Mm-hmm. I also teach the English 115, which is written communication two. Uh, that is more of a research writing course, so we we focus on research based writing all semester long, and that is comparable to an English 102 course maybe that another school offers. Mm-hmm. And I also teach the uh, English 231, which is our business and technical writing course, and then I teach the uh, English 201, which is introduction to literature. Um, oh, okay. So those are the four classes that I teach, and what's interesting about those classes is, in various ways, all four of those classes sort of touch on the three modes of writing. And there's really three modes of writing that our students are exposed to at Mount West. And this varies a bit depending on their degree program and what the requirements are. But one mode of writing is sort of the academic writing, which is essays and research papers and things of that sort. And we cover that quite a bit in the 111 and the 115 course. Then there is the business and technical writing mode, which is covered a lot in the ENL 231, the business and technical writing class. And then the third mode of writing is creative, which is novels, short stories, plays, poems, those kinds of things. Uh, we touch on that some in the intro to lit class. Now they, students don't really write those kind and produce those kinds of documents, but they're exposed to those genres mm-hmm. in the course. So all four of those courses really touch on those three modes of writing uh, in some way, shape, or form over the course of the semester when the students take those classes. Okay. Well, I know that um, you know if if a listener has gone back and listened to a lot of our other podcasts. They've heard about a lot of the curriculums that we have here in the in the IT area, and I'm pretty sure 
every single one of them uh, has our ENL 111 in them. The written communication is basically the, the foundation that we have here. Every student has to have a written communication course, so they, they definitely take that. And then here in our IT area, um, all of our students take the tech report writing class that you teach. Now, we do offer a couple of um, certificate one-year programs. With those, that's typically not in there, but they still get the uh, the ENL 111. And uh, I was I was telling you before we, we started that when I came here to Mount West, and I originally started at Marshall and, and um, got really antsy about not using computers, and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm almost a year and a half into my, into my CSD degree at Marshall, and when am I going to touch a computer? It's got the word computer in the name, computer science and software development. When am I going to do it? And so I got antsy and transferred to the community college. The last class that I took, my final semester, fall 2001, was... Uh, tech report writing, tech report writing uh, to Professor Betty Dennison, and so I took that right as I was getting a job in the job market, and I didn't think much of it because at the time I was like, "Do I really need this? I've already got English 101 and 102," and I was thinking the normal college things, and and I get out there and the first thing I start doing in a job is write a report about when you went and you worked on this computer or you fixed this, document what you did because we need to have it for our knowledge management uh, database so we can keep track of what you're doing. I was having to do um, reports that explain what I was doing during the day. I was really shocked at how much writing I ended up having to do out in the job market. Absolutely, and that's one of the things that we we emphasize really early on in that course, and, and you know this too, having taken it, is that this is a different kind of writing. You know, th- this isn't the the academic mode of writing like we were talking about a minute ago. This is not the English 111 type of writing where we're we're writing paragraphs and we're writing multi-page essays and we have thesis statements and we have in-text citations and all of those things that come with that academic mode of writing. We're not doing that per se in the business and technical writing. What we're emphasizing in that course is clear, concise writing that demonstrates uh, your competency as the expert or the, the, the technical person, whatever it is that you're doing, uh, to execute the tasks and responsibilities that your business or company has asked of you. And I know you and I talked about this the other day when we were talking about planning the show. You know, one of the biggest transitions that students have to make when they first start taking that, that business and technical writing course is that in past English courses, and in many ways past other courses as well, when you turn in an assignment, something written, it's got your name on it, and it typically goes to one person, and that's your professor. When you're writing a, a business or a technical document, you are not only representing yourself, but oftentimes that information, especially if it's going out to a constituency, or if your company relies on customers to fund operations for whomever you're working for, oftentimes there's going to be a letterhead that you're going to be writing on, or there's going to be some notation somewhere on that page that you send out uh, who you're working for. And so not only are you representing yourself, by that well-written or poorly written document that you've been working working on, but also you're representing that company. Whoever's logo is embroiled at the top of that letterhead or at the bottom of that letterhead or whomever, you're representing them as well. So if you have a poorly written technical document or business document, not only does that that customer, that reader, whoever that may be, look at you and think, my goodness, you know, what's wrong with this person? Why can't they write clearly and concisely, or why can't they express themselves uh, well? 
But then they're going to make judgments about that company or that business that, that you're working for, and they're going to say, you know, if this is the kind of person or this is the kind of individual this company has working for them, is this really somebody I want to negotiate a software contract with? Or is this someone that I really want to have servicing my technology, servicing my computers at my place of employment, or whatever it is that you may be doing? So it, it takes students a while to kind of make that that change. It usually takes three, mm-hmm. two to three weeks to kind of get around that. That you know, You're not writing for yourself. You're writing on behalf for yourself, um, but also on behalf of others, whomever it is that you're working for. So that's that's one of the early challenges that um, students have to make. And when they go into the workforce, as you were saying with your example, and I had to do this mm-hmm. too when I worked for Bristol Broadcasting, you know, it's a quick learning curve. And, and it sounds like in your, in your situation, you know, you didn't have really a, an outline or a template to follow. You were just expected no. to know how to write that report. <clears throat> That's and, true. Uh, and so, you know, those are some of the things that we, that we try to emphasize in that class. And, and we try to, um, you know, make sure that students understand it, it really is uh, a writing situation where you're just writing, you're writing for more than just yourself. It's not just you turning in a document or piece of paper to one person. It has residual meaning that carries on past uh, that initial uh, that initial writing that you've done. Yeah, correct. I I think I think really um, the big thing that I wanted to put out there was so many people go, do I really need this? Or or they say or or they don't. I guess they don't verbalize it, but they just think oh, I'm just having to get this for a degree. And I'm here to tell you, if you go back and you listen to the podcast with either um, Scott Nicholas or you go back and you listen to the podcast with Paul Martin, they both talked about. Working out on your own, either as an IT consultant, or they talked about working for uh, for a company where you had to go out and do contract work, and you have to deal with the public. And yes, uh, oral communications are also very very valuable. But a lot of times, your first line of contact is going to be via email, and you need to make sure that when you reply via email, you're not using emoticons. You're you're actually writing in correct English that anybody can read. You don't know the audience who's on the other end of that. You are not talking with your friend. You're talking with a potential client who's going to pay you money. And so you need to be professional. You need to be concise. You want to make sure that that what you are writing is not a whole bunch of acronyms that's intimidating. So you really need to understand that audience when you put that information out there because if if you blow the person off or you brush them off or you intimidate them, you just lost money, and they're going to go find someone who can adequately communicate with them correctly. And then also, even let's say they do call you, even on the phone, you want to have a certain etiquette about you, but then they're going to want to ask for an estimate of services. That is a written document you're going to have to type up that's going to have to explain to them why you're going to charge what you're going to charge them. And so you still haven't got their business yet. You've made them the estimate. Even after that, you're going to want to document in your company all the steps you go through for this project is. Maybe the customer signs off on it. If they do, then your bosses are going to come back to you and say, make us a project plan. That's another document you're going to have to write up. You're going to have to break it all down, take these large complex concepts and make them into smaller manageable um, milestones that you can have. And then you get working on the document, and then you have to have the customer sign off every single milestone you have. There is so much writing involved. Some people just think, oh, I'll just go in there, and I'll do what I need to do, and I'll leave. When you come back, that employer that's paid you wants you to document why or what the problem was, 
why you did what you did so the next person doesn't have to go ahead and uh, get paid the same amount of money. The whole point is, the second time it happens, they need to be able to look into a ticketing system or a database and see, oh, look, Patrick went there three weeks ago, had the same problem, and we can fix it in 10 seconds. That's how they make their money. That's how you become smarter, but you have to share your knowledge with the company as well. So not only when you're prepping for a project and talking with the client and trying to take what they tell you Uh, verbally and try to turn that into business needs for the business and put that on paper and explain to them why they need it. Even on the flip side, when you come back to the business, there's so much writing you have to do. So all of this is very, very important uh, that you have to do in in your environment. So, um, And one thing I want to add too, Patrick, to that about, and you're absolutely right, everything that you said is exactly true. And something else that you know, we emphasize with our students in that class and that I think is important to what you were saying a, a moment ago is that, you know, these are busy people and, and they, they are not going to have time to wait two or three paragraphs for you to get to the main point. Mm-hmm. They're not going to have time uh, to uh, sift through uh, your incomplete sentences or your sentences that rant, that run on and ramble forever and forever uh, to get to the heart of what it is that you're trying to say in your document. You know, these are busy readers, and, and we talk about that in, in the business tech writing class. We talk about the levels of readership. You know, typically when a student turns in an English 111 paper to me on a Thursday, well, then I'm going to go home or I'm going to sit in my office and I'm going to take 20 minutes, 30 minutes, however long as it takes, and I'm going to read every word and I'm going to look for all of these things. Greg Burton, the director at Brick Street Insurance, if he contacts you and your company to come do the software management for mm-hmm. Brick Street Insurance, He's a very busy person, and when you send him that proposal, he's going to look through that document. He's going to want to be able to pick out the specific pieces of information that he needs, and he's not going to have a lot of time or patience for uh, a lot of nonsensical, sloppy writing uh, that doesn't convey clear ideas. And and one of the things that we also talk about in the course, which can help that, are are those visual guide markers that busy readers need to see. Those are things like headings. Those are things like bulleted lists. Those are things like graphics and charts, especially if you're dealing with statistics and percentages. If you can put that information in a pie chart or a bar chart that a reader can look at and in five seconds say, oh, I see here. I see the cost-benefit analysis. If we use you versus using a competitor, I can see how much money we're going to save. You can communicate something like that and get a much better response than you could if you wrote that in three or four paragraphs. Mm-hmm. When you listed numbers in line after line after line of text. Um, but but that is something that, that is so important to, to what you were saying a moment ago is that is that these readers are busy and and they're not going to have a lot of time uh, or patience or and, and, and I don't want to say patience meaning that that they're that they're harsh people that that's not what I'm saying but but the but these people are, are running businesses they've got employees to manage they have budgets to keep track of they mm-hmm. have payroll they have to take care of yeah. you know they've got a lot of stuff going on and they just don't have time to sit down and and try to take 45 minutes to pick through your sloppy writing or your bad writing to figure out what it is that you're trying to say if they can't get through that they're going to put your proposal in the in the file cabinet which is oftentimes the waste paper basket mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they're going to go on, you know, and find somebody else who can. So right. the fact that that readership and audience is so important in business and technical writing uh, is something that we emphasize. And you talked about emails too. We we mm-hmm. do a unit on emails uh, in the business and tech writing class. When I first started teaching the class in '06. We didn't do emails as much. I mean, we briefly talked about it. But mm-hmm. now where email, as you said, has become so prevalent with everything that we do. And the fact that there's a certain level of permanence with emails, 
that if someone doesn't delete that on their email folder, it can always be pulled up really forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to spend some time, and we, we do a unit on email. We talk about those things that you mentioned. We talked about having a professional email address. Mm-hmm. We talked about you know even your personal email address. If your personal email address is squeaky18 at yahoo.com or, or bubblegumfungirl at hotmail.com, you know, mm-hmm. that doesn't convey a level of professionalism. So we, we talk about that. We talk about, you know, how do you respond to an inflammatory email from a supervisor or a customer? How do you respond but also maintain that level of professionalism? So many things that uh, that I think are so important with, with the business writing uh, course that emphasize the other skills that we talk about, but also uh, reiterate the fact that email is such an important way of communication today that you have to use those same good writing principles just as if you were doing a feasibility report or, or a contract or a sales proposal. Those same principles apply. Well, I even find in, in any of our classes that, that, I, that I teach now, um, there's always teachable moments that come up where I have to stand in front of the class when I'm giving the syllabus out and say to them, Make sure you put your name in the email. I can't tell you how many emails I get from students who email my Yahoo, you know, email from a Yahoo account or Gmail. And like you say, it's like Squeaky18. I don't know who you are. I don't I don't have a student whose last name is Squeaky18 or, or Squeaky. And so I don't know who that is. And all it says is, what do we miss today? Um, what class? Who are you? I mean, so even from the instructor-student level, right off the bat, it's 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 just there's so much information that we can convey to them to say, look, look what's wrong with this email. You haven't even said who you are. You haven't addressed the person. You haven't explained thoroughly. You just in a in a small fit of oh, I should go ahead and email my professor. You put that down almost like a text. Sent it. Forgot about it. And thinks that think that everybody else is going to see it. You probably didn't even like proofread it and check it again a second time <laughs> right. to see if anything was missing. So, um, yeah, I, f- I found that happens, especially in like one-on-one classes and stuff like that. And uh, I mean, I don't I don't mind if students email me from their from their non MCTC account. I tell them that like if it's going to be official business, I have to email them otherwise. But but I do tell them you should make sure you tell me who you are if you want me to respond. I got to kind of know who you are, what you're asking for, and just not a general vague question. So I, I think a lot of us try all along the path to get them to not have nonsensical stuff that has specific questions they're asking um, so that I, I guess they're just not accustomed to that at this point. And so, you know, you talked about you, you all have added email. Um, have you... I guess I'm just curious from a, from a from a techie standpoint. Have you started talking any about about texting or anything like that? Because it seems like maybe the businesses aren't moving as quickly, but it does seem like more and more people are leaving email behind and going to texting. So, is there any like um, uh, ethics or um, or etiquette that you kind of talk about in there on that? Because I'm, I'm oh, curious yeah. as to how that's. How that's coming about? Absolutely, you know, and and you're exactly right with that. We we don't spend as much time on texting, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the texting section of the email unit, and, and really, I say the email unit. It's really electronic correspondence is sure. kind of the theme of the unit. Mm-hmm. But as I was mentioning a moment ago, how we we didn't focus on email much in 2006 when I first started teaching the course, sure. 
it's become more prevalent. I imagine in two or three years from now, we're going to have much more emphasis on the on the texting because that seems to be the trend. And you're right; I think businesses are are slowly turning the ship uh, in that direction in terms of relying on that, maybe more so than email. But but we do talk about that, and, and we talk about uh, you know some of the things that you brought up earlier. We talk about the emoticons. You know, if you're communicating with a client, you're communicating with a supervisor, especially if you have a company phone that you're using. If your business or company, and I know a, a lot of folks in the IT field, you know, students that, that you've had in class and students that we have that are interning with different places and get jobs with different employers in the area, oftentimes are given a company phone in mm-hmm. addition to their own personal phone. And especially if you're using a company phone, you know, that that, that can be tracked. That can be, you know, they can, if need be, they can pull up who you've been texting, uh, what time you texted them. Uh, and in some cases, even retrieve those messages. So, you know, using things like emoticons, you know, using them, uh, that's important. Not if you're going to say see you later, not type C Y A L eight T R, you know, things <laughs> like that, like, you know, like you would yes. maybe your friend or your, your, you know, your significant other or something like that. So, you know, just getting them to see that yes a text is not an email mm-hmm. just as an email is not a, a memo just as a memo mm-hmm. is not a resume sure. but that that same level of professionalism has to be there and we also emphasize this and and you know I do at least in my class and, and I know Betty may do it differently and other folks may do it differently too mm-hmm. you know I, I encourage folks you know especially if you have that company phone and especially if you're dealing with a client only text them if absolutely necessary. You know, you still need to maintain that level of professionalism. And and if if it's something that it that is an emergency, let's say, and you need to text the owner of the company or the manager or whomever has contacted you, then you can do that. But you know, if it's a longer, more complex issue that that really needs to be documented, you need to use some other kind of communication. You need to send an email. You need to write a memo. You need to do. You know, you need to do something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, use a more formal way of, of getting that across. That that sort of the the customer to client relationship still needs to be a little bit more formalized. And in some cases, you may have a boss that say, you know, well, you know, I'm going to be down the street. Or I'm going to be out of town today. Text me if there's any problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if they give you that that leeway. They don't want you texting them about nonsensical things, or they don't want you really texting them unless it's an emergency. And, and even then, you're going to want to follow that up with a phone call, or you're going to want to follow that up with an email, or you're going to want to do something to, mm-hmm. to establish some more formal lines of communication. So we talk a lot about that, about you know, in a business setting, uh, especially if you're dealing with a constituency or customer base, to, to really use that texting as a last resort. That that you know, there's other ways you can maintain uh, formal communication either orally or written uh, without having to use texting. And, and some students are, are surprised about that because they, they text, they send hundreds of texts a day. Mm-hmm. And they text everybody, their parents, their babysitter, their daycare provider, their whomever. But, you know, when, when you're dealing with a customer, I, I think it's, it's, you've still got to really be careful when and how you use those text messages. Well, I think the important thing there, too, is to get across to people that, um, we do seem to be in such a me culture at this point. And when you are working for somebody else or when you have your own business, it's not me. It should be you. If I'm going to get paid, it should be all about you. And so I should cater my forms of communication to whatever the customer or the client wants. So you may have a client who's who loves texting, and that's fine. But 
it needs to be represented based on what their comfort level is because you're there to serve them. And um, if you serve them well, then they'll keep on coming back. You'll keep on having repeat business and you'll stay in business. If you don't, if you alienate them by trying to text them all the time, like you were saying, and they expect emails and they can't understand you, they're going to find somebody else they can't understand. So communication is very, very important, especially if you want to make money and be successful um, in this field or, or basically any other field. You know, you talked about getting your job and having to hit the ground running and you stayed through all those, uh, all those different turnovers and layoffs. You had to be able to, um, to toe the line the way they wanted. You had to figure that out. And a lot of times, as you said, people weren't going to tell you how to do that. And so if you want to keep your job out there, if you want to be good at your job um, and, and be profitable at your job, you need to figure out what the customer wants or what your employer wants. And you need to be able to uh, communicate in the way that best suits them. You're so. exactly right. And, and Patrick, I, you know, that, that's a great point. And, and something else that we do in the course that, that ties into what you're saying, we, we do a at the beginning of the semester, I, I have we, we do a little web search in class. And I say, I want you to go out there and I want you to look and how many jobs are looking for people who understand the principles and can demonstrate skills in business and technical writing? Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we look at Monster and we look at you know the, the federal the federal jobs database and things like that. Mm-hmm. And students are amazed at how many jobs are out there for people that know and understand the principles and conventions and can demonstrate those uh, of business and technical writing. And sometimes it's it's outside of maybe their specialization. So they may be, you know, IT network system security, for example, and they find out, oh my goodness, there's a web developer job here for the Army Corps of Engineers in Huntington, that, and they want you to, to know, you know, business and technical writing principles and, and how to execute those. Mm-hmm. And, and I think students are amazed at, at, at how those skills are so important and how that that they uh, can make themselves much more marketable if they understand those principles and that and I tell them too we do a unit on um, resumes and job interview skills and, and mm-hmm. for some of our students depending on when they've taken the 231 class sometimes they wait towards the end of their degree program some programs have it towards the beginning mm-hmm. but for the students who are at the beginning they take it maybe in their first or second semester uh, that many of them have not done a resume so we we spend uh, you know we do a unit on resumes and, and resumes are perfect examples of business and technical documents because they mm-hmm. have all those things we're talking about you know headings and lists and bold font and lining up your margins correctly and all those things um, but I tell students, I say, on that resume, under your list of skills, under your skill set, where you list, you know, that I'm competent in this and can do that and can do this, list that you understand the principles and fundamentals of, of business and technical writing. Because you will by the time you, you, you leave class, if you've come to class and paid attention and done what you're supposed to do, right. you should have, you know, some, some of those skills. But I, I mention that because I say, you know, look at all those jobs. Remember at the beginning of the semester, all those jobs we looked at. Mm-hmm. That's a skill that you can put that on your resume, and if you can get that job interview, because we talk about how the resume gets you the interview. It's the interview that gets you the job. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, we talk about how if you're able to get in the interview with that manager or that HR person or whoever it is that's talking – Talk about that. Talk about that you understand the importance of, of business emails and you understand the culture that's respond, that's 
a part of that, that you understand the importance of clear, concise writing, that you understand the importance of that customer-client relationship. Use those business and technical writing principles because as you can see from the list we're looking at here, and we pull that list up again towards the end of the semester sometimes, I'll say, you know, there's jobs out here. And these are good paying jobs, Patrick. These are these are fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollar a year jobs here. Mm-hmm. And and if if that can be the little nugget that helps you sell mm-hmm. yourself and helps you um, make yourself seem more marketable to that person. You know, you and I could apply for the same job and have the same number of degrees and the same Cisco certificates and all those things that I know you mm-hmm. guys work so hard to get and that your students work hard to get. We can have the same skills, but if I can go in and say, hey, you know what? I understand business and technical writing. I understand the kind of documents you all produce here, and I understand the importance and the necessity to write these kinds of documents and how email fits in. It would be amazing, and you've had a lot of students I know, and I've had students that have been your students that I've talked to mm-hmm. since graduation that have said, you know, when I could demonstrate that and mention that, it got me, it got me the job. So I think that you know it is something that 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 helps them, you know, in the course and in their coursework here at Mount West, but it, it is a huge selling point when they go to interview for a job, when they can they can say, you know, I understand what business and technical writing is about, and I know mm-hmm. what it means, and I know the ethics behind it, and I know the importance of it. It really makes them much more marketable. Okay. Well, I, I think, I hope after hearing this interview that, uh, that a lot of the people, potential students, current students, see what an amazing value there is in your classes so so i hope that uh you see a a better retention i hope you see students who are seeing the value in that as well uh as they come out of the class and um i guess one more thing i just want to want to throw out there and and ask you as a general question when you do uh for example your tech report writing classes traditionally what forms do you do those in? I know you do some web classes. Is that one you normally do traditionally in web, or how does that work? Yes, we, we offer those actually in three formats. We oh. have the traditional face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the past, we've offered those classes are usually two days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've tried teaching that class three days a week, and, and it just there's just not enough time. We just really can't get into anything yeah. uh, in depth. And I think that's the case with a lot of 50-minute classes, but especially with that one. So we've kind of transitioned that away from the three-day-a-week to two days a week for 75 minutes. Typically, we've offered a morning section and then an afternoon section of the Mm face-to-face. We also offer it in a hybrid format where uh, students will do some of the work in class. They'll have some of the face-to-face class meetings, but then some of the work is done through Blackboard. for a long time, we didn't offer it as hybrid, but we had a lot of students coming to us and saying, this would be a great hybrid class. I feel like I would I would like to have this in a hybrid format, so we started offering it for that. Uh, and then we also offer it as, as, as a web-only option, as an online course only. So whatever needs that the students have, and, and it really, Patrick, even the web course kind of came out of student requests that they okay. said, you know, we, you know, we like the class, and... You know, I have a friend who wants to take the class, or I have a friend in this major, but, you know, for whatever reason, she can't come to campus, or he can't come to campus at 9.30, Tuesday, Thursday, or at 2 o'clock, Tuesday, Thursday. Mm-hmm. You know, has this ever been uh, offered on web, on the web? In fact, I was I developed that course as, as the web course oh, okay. uh, back in 2008 was the first semester we offered it as a web course. So we offered it in all three formats, and, and we found that, you know, in, in offering it in three ways, you know, we've kept the same level of quality. So students who are who are listening and thinking about, well, should I take it as an online class, or is it going to be easier or harder if I take it as a hybrid versus face to face? You know, it's the same content, you know, the same amount of assignments, the same 
everything that we talk about in the face-to-face is offered in those other formats. So the quality is there, it, uh, and the standards are still high. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of, of trying to meet the students' needs and, and, and meet them where uh, they can uh, take the course but also be successful. Right. Well, I just think I think it's good to know that the potential – our potential audience. I mean, I don't, I don't know that we've ever, ever actually polled our audience to have them contact us, but potentially, this goes out through iTunes and on our website, so it could be global. But at least even outside of West Virginia, the potential is there that if if we we have an audience member listening who uh, really enjoys the idea of what you do, and they're like, I'd really like to take, I'd like to take his class. There's a potential that they could do it via web, and they would not have to physically be here. So. Um, if if you found that exciting, if if you uh, at least I hope I hope everyone out there has a better appreciation for the written communication that you're going to have to have because whether you like it or not, you're going to have to have it to be successful in business. And so I hope um, Elliot Parker's managed to open up your eyes to to how important it's going to be in the area. And plus, if you're really interested, uh, you have the ability to 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 look up our classes. I know uh, ENL 111 as well as uh, ENL 231 are typically offered every semester, if not also sometimes in the summer. So whenever you're hearing this, if you're interested, you can definitely go to our website at www.mctc.edu. And typically in the upper right-hand corner, there's a link for classes that are offered. And you can go in and look and see what sections of ENL 111 or what sections of ENL 231 are available. I, I will say that 231 requires ENL 111, the written communication, as a prerequisite for it before you would go into that. So uh, if you were looking at taking the class, you'd probably either have to have an English 101 transfer in, something like that from another college, or um, or having taken ours. But um, I hope everybody out there can see how important this is and, and make sure that when you do take your classes that uh, that somebody like Elliot is making sure to tell you how important it is and you pay attention because you're going to need it. You're really going to need it, so and you're paying for it, so definitely pay attention. So uh, thank you so much today, Elliot. Patrick, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of Talk on Tech. I am Patrick Smith, and have a great week.